0: Building a business ain't easy. It takes hard work, dedication, and strength. This is Success Failed with Philip Long. Must know tips for
1: executives going through the trials and tribulations of growing their own business. Now, here's your host, Philip Long. Hello and welcome to Success Failed with Philip Long. I am Philip Long and I am very happy today to have Deanne Servo with Prodigy Pantry on as a guest. We have a really fun and jam-packed show for you guys today and we're going to be talking to Deanne about her really challenges that she's faced in her 18 years of tenure that she's had in really birthing this Prodigy Pantry and really where it is today. So let's get started.
0: Interview an expert. Now let me introduce you.
1: All right, well, hello, everybody, and I'd like to welcome you to Success Field. I'm Philip Long, and today I have a very special guest, Ms. Deanne Servos, and she is with Prodigy Pantry out of Spanish Fork. And we've got a really a jam-packed show, and we're going to uh, really talk about her ministry and really the challenges that she has had uh, throughout the ministry. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Ms. Uh, Deanne Servos. Hello, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate, uh, you know, you, you being on. Uh, you know, I, I met with you, I don't know, it's been maybe a month back. Our team uh, got involved and we, you know, we had uh, Take a Bite Out of Hunger with BIS and we had some other of our clients actually join in and and, you know, give food and money and uh I was really I will tell you what I I'd known about the ministry but I didn't know about the ministry and that's why I wanted to have you on so tell me a little bit about about you Deanne. you know how did you get started in in this uh area
0: well actually um you know I I believe that food is love and so it's a simple concept um everybody loves to eat and food gathers people together and in 2003 uh, three women sat down at my kitchen table, and we talked about the need to feed people in our community. We realized that you can go one street from every neighborhood and find people who are struggling. And so that's how Protesty Pantry was born, over lunch at a table, To make, and we decided we wanted to make sure that families were fed. So it's been um, 16 years, and we're still feeding on a much larger scale now.
1: Absolutely. And the 16 years, you know, I read a lot about about things about really passion and energy and things and you know a lot of times people especially as it relates to you know ecumenical or, or good deeds good service a lot of times you know they know it's the right thing but they don't have a passion for it and it ends in really a lot of frustration and burnout and ultimately you know the mission never gets seen through so you've been doing this 16 years um you know tell me about that tell me uh what's that look like How how do you you know what motivates you along the way?
0: Well, you know it's one of those personal realizations that food is important, you have to have it. It's a human need, but what comes after that is most critical at Prodigy Pantry. We set ourselves up to not feed only the physical need but the emotional and the spiritual need as well, and so myself and all the volunteers at Proe Pantry we receive just as many blessings as the families that we help. It's been um, a long haul. There's been ups and downs and it's not always easy. Um, There's lots of God moments that keep us going. Um, You know, one of the probably the most difficult times was during the recession. We had um, ridden through Katrina and that was difficult. We did a lot of good things in the community and across the entire Gulf Coast. And then the recession hit us and um, it's, Christmas time, and it brings back the most vivid memory of sitting on the shelf in our tiny little room at the time where we were working out of, and all that was there were pineapple and black-eyed peas, and we had a huge distribution, and I curled up on those shelves that used to hold tires, and I started praying, and the phone started ringing, and I was like, I'm not answering that. We really can't help anyone else, and I'm just going to sit here and talk to God. But the phone kept ringing, and it must have been five minutes. So I finally got up and answered the phone. And it was a local news station asking how we had fared with such a busy holiday season with the recession. And I told the reporter that we only had pineapple and black-eyed peas and that we were concerned about how we would open in January and that I had been praying when the phone was ringing. And that was God calling, really. Um, the community stepped up, and the next morning when I went by, there was food piled up outside our doors, and all day long people brought food so that we could open in January. So wow, that, that is sealed really So that the deal that we knew that we're really not in charge of our ministry, God is, and so we're not going to fail because as long as we are doing and following our mission, it re-energizes us, and um, it's just, it's a, it's a, It's hard to explain to people how a business works when you believe the God's in control.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and ultimately, you know, whether we you know in my way of thinking whether we believe that or or not believe that i mean it's life's much better when we do believe that but ultimately he is in control and that's where you know i like to resort back to even whenever the challenges come so that's one challenge that you face give me another challenge i know that you guys were uh you know you, you had another location and you moved just you know give me a couple of the the things where you know you know, looking at, you know, I really believe that we fail our way to success and that people that are okay with failure and they're they're willing to learn and grow from that failure that they're, you know, they're going to be successful. You just got to keep keep swinging. Tell me some other times when when you've faced challenges and how God has has really carried you through those.
0: Well, um I think our yeah, that was a very big challenge um because the oil spill on top of the recession Really um, hurt so many businesses, including churches. And the church that was giving us space in their facility put their shopping center up for sale. And um, we found out in March of 2011 that our program would basically be homeless. And we had been trying for two years to find another space and a location in the Spanish Fort uh, Daphne eastern shore area that we could serve out of and we were really not successful we couldn't find um, banks to loan us money we had drawings to put up a building we even had a 99 year lease on a piece of property it wouldn't cost us a thing to build on but we couldn't find the money and of course during recessions and all those things and we had really outgrown our location we were it was a lot more work than it needed to be I love efficiency and effectiveness, (laughs) and we were not being efficient and effective. We were storing frozen food at the local school um, and going and picking it up every Tuesday morning. You know, just there was so much work to make it happen that didn't have to happen. But when we heard in March that we weren't going to have our location, it was really heartbreaking and really was a problem because we had become – one of the largest emergency food programs along the entire Gulf Coast region, and we were going to be homeless. That's a huge mountain to climb. Sure. Well, two days later, um, a volunteer came in my office and sat down and said, I have a building. It has a purpose. And I looked at him, and I said, well, where is it? And he's on Highway 31. Well, I had driven down and myself and a lot of volunteers. We drive down thirty one dropping our kids at the middle school, the high school. Never saw the sign on the building that we currently are in. It had been for sale for two years. The business was in foreclosure. And I came by with a friend, um, and board member at the time, and we came in the building and it was in terrible disrepair and It needed a lot of work, a lot of love and attention, and it was missing a huge thing, a parking lot. And it did drain all of Spanish Fort across the property. So (laughs) those were not big challenges. No, they weren't. But we still didn't have the money. But we now saw, we prayed about it and said, um, I called John White Funner while we were out here and said, hey, come look at this building. And he climbed on the roof and he hollered down. He'd been up there a long time, and I truly believe he was praying. He hollered down by the building. Well, we didn't have the money to buy the building, but it turns out that the owner of the building um, gave us a private mortgage. And so the day that we went to sign the mortgage, a grantor dropped a check by for $15,000, which was a sign to us that we were doing the right thing. And lo and behold, we are in this building because God whispered on the hearts of lots of vendors and contractors and good folks who came cleaned the building, made repairs, and helped us fund and do the parking lot. It's truly a God's story that in 2011, we secured the Impact 100 from Baldwin County grant that allowed us to put in the freezers and coolers, electrical upgrades. Walmart came in and gave us a huge grant that allowed us to put in the loading dock that we so desperately needed. By February of 2012, on Valentine's Day, because food is love, you hear that, we opened to clients. And that was five months from the day we signed on the mortgage, something that John Whitebunner said was truly impossible. But because these three women didn't know it couldn't be done, it got done.
1: Yeah, that is absolutely wonderful. Well, I want to transition just a little bit about, really about the actual you know, the ministry, uh, you know, I came and saw it on Tuesday. We did a quick video clip there, and I mean, that thing was, uh, it had traffic backed up for literally probably a mile, and it was difficult even to get in the facility. So you guys are serving a lot of people. Tell me what that looks like on on that day, and that's what y'all call, is it delivery day, or what was it?
0: Distribution day.
1: Distribution day, I'm uh, sorry.
0: That's Okay. We um, typically serve throughout the year about 300 families uh, a week, which is about 1,200 different families in a month. During the holidays, of course, that ramps up because we coordinate with all of the local nonprofits and churches to make sure families are fed for the holidays. But those are they, we face challenges with that as well. We um, bring in six to ten kinds of produce, which is typically a ton of each kind of fresh produce, which in itself is food handling and making sure that we have enough and that it arrives on time and all of those things are scheduled. We have volunteers come all week long at different times to get things ready for a Tuesday distribution. So every week we start over on Wednesday morning. And we literally move about 600 tons of groceries into Baldwin County annually. Of that, 120 tons of fresh produce. Um, There are tons of frozen meats, milks, cheeses, all of those things. So we run like a mini Walmart. Yeah, oh, very (laughs) impressive facility. Um, But it's all done on the labor of volunteers. And so that in itself is such a blessing because the community understands that our neighbors in need don't have to be hungry if we can all work together. And so... We bring together about 35 to 4,000 different volunteers throughout the year. Each one lends their hands or their hearts in some way to make Prodigy Pantry happen. What's really neat about that is, is that that equates to $1.1 million worth of service. So mm. a program like Prodigy Pantry doesn't exist if the community doesn't have the buy-in. And so... I'm humbled to see volunteers show up week in, week out, and as groups come in and see little children, folks in their late 80s, all have a way of helping their neighbor. That's what keeps the energy going here at Prodigy Pantry.
1: Got you. Let me ask you as far as, you know, when I was there, I saw a lot of other entities that um, – were there, you know, and really you talked about earlier, we spoke about how, you know, it's not really about food, it's just a means by which your ministry works. Really, you're in the ministry of loving and helping people uh, is, the, you know, I think a bigger picture of really what's going on there. And tell me how you've connected with other um, entities in order to, you know, to really help these families.
0: Well, that's correct. We're so much more than a box of groceries here at Prodigy Pantry. We have dozens of on-site supportive programs. That means that families can get everything from on-site medical and dental screening thanks to Franklin Primary Health Centers. They can get vision screenings thanks to the Lions Club. They can get signed up for food stamps. They can get legal services through South Alabama Volunteer Lawyers and Legal Aid of Alabama they can get help from the drug education council. Um the list is so long. They can get budget yeah. help from many banks. The point is when someone is needing the most basic of things, food and being recognized as a human being, there's something else going on that can be addressed. And so we have a team of about 50 volunteers that get to listen to and love on these families week in, week out. They walk them over to these services. And those that are not on site, we can refer hundreds of services so that families can start that process, baby steps forward. We understand that when someone's in a crisis mode or struggling with long-term effects of poverty, that it's going to take many visits and a few steps forward and a few steps back. But eventually we have success where we can get families to be self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. And that is a big win for our community, not just for the families, because when everyone is doing better, our communities as a whole do better. There's always going to be those families that hit crisis mode. It's it's going to happen. What a blessing that a program like this is here and that other programs are working with us in tandem to help these families move forward. If we're scattered and not working in tandem, then we're missing the opportunity to look at the whole picture of what's impacting a family.
1: Yeah, and I like the uh, the overall thought of you know you're you're basically bridging a gap for somebody and you know we talked earlier uh, about uh, I think when we were, when I was on site we talked about how a lot of these people are you know they got jobs they're just uh, they you know something bad happened in their life and it it set them back and, and the goal of the ministry is not to leave them where they are but to actually bridge a gap and then to be able to you know basically get them over this hump. Is that accurate?
0: That is accurate. It's taken a couple of years, but we are working diligently to partner up with folks and different food programs, different ministries, so that families don't have to go to four or five different places to get groceries, to get other services, because all that does is use up their time, use up their resources, and hold them in poverty. We just teach them how to shop for needs instead of address those needs. And so bringing things in under one roof allows us to, to really be efficient and effective. We can address needs that are emergent right then and there and then work with them. We provide them homework um, to the families that visit us so that they we can check in with them and say, hey, how is that going? If that didn't work, let's try something else. So we get to know our families. There are our neighbors that live right down the street. They are the senior ladies sitting in the pew next to you at church. It is that young mom who has her kid at the playground. It's the underemployed folks who are working hard. They're salt of the earth, but they blew a tire on their way to the job, and they had one-month savings, and maybe they needed to go get a tooth pulled, and the rainy day funds are gone. Today's basic costs are much higher than they used to be, so we're all just a few paychecks away from possibly needing or one natural disaster away from possibly needing food and other resources. So we are a gap filler for families that that just hit a hiccup.
1: Sure. Let me ask you, um, kind of Let's. I want to transition a little bit about, uh, you know, how do how can we get, you know, the audience to be able to plug in and help. You know, what's it look like? What are the opportunities to help you guys? And I want to go all the way from from companies like, you know, like ours, you know, small to mid sized companies um, to individuals and you know people volunteering and you know kind of tell me some some avenues or some opportunities to uh, support the, the ministry.
0: Well, since we are a community ministry run by the community, um, we run just like a business. So there are opportunities that any business has that they can help here at Prodigy Pantry. We love when groups of staff come and volunteer and help us with distribution, help us get ready for distribution, come help us with organizing and rolling out fundraisers. Uh, so businesses have a way of supporting being a sponsor, Supporting the events that we put out in the community, um, raising funds, collecting food, and, of course, lending their hands, Um, Mm -hmm. lending their resources. Um, You know, we're very blessed that we have businesses that support everything from our IT to helping us when a forklift needs repaired. I mean, so businesses have a way of helping Um, Mm -hmm. as an entity themselves. Individuals can come anytime they want, and lend their hands. We are here Monday through Thursday from 8 to 4 and Fridays from 8 to 12, and every day we have volunteer opportunities. We are staffed by volunteers. We have three core staff that handle the big things, and then we break down our volunteer opportunities to manageable bites for individuals and businesses. So if we lost our business and our individual volunteers, Protestant Pantry doesn't exist. That's how important and critical it is that the community supports our efforts through Mm -hmm. the physical labor, through um, intellectual labor in the sense of using, it's not all physical, um, it's not all moving cans, and praying for us. That's huge at Protesty Pantry because we believe in the power of prayer to get things done.
1: Sure, let me ask you on the um if they want it to uh connect, what's the best way to reach out and um uh, you know do they call do they send an email is there an app for that you know how do you what's the best way to communicate with you to to uh for groups to get plugged in
0: absolutely um they can call in to our main line, which is uh two five one sixty six one seven two zero, or they can go online drop us an email at volunteer at org. um or they can connect with us through Facebook Messenger. We are um we'll we'll respond back as soon as we can. Um we are happy to plug in groups, happy to plug in individuals because this is their program to help our community.
1: Yeah. It is great. We've had I had some of my employees go and actually um serve and we, I actually we delivered some food over uh the other day and really is a great uh, facility and you know I'm extremely impressed I'll be you know completely transparent there I am very impressed at what you've done and I think it is great for our community and it is uh you know it falls in line with you know my belief system as far as you know the power of prayer as well as the uh as um You know, God provides. And, you know, I'm just, I want to thank you so much for being uh, a guest today. And uh, we're going to, of course, send people your way. We're going to be doing things over the holidays to help you guys. And I'm going to be encouraging. One last question while I think about it. You know, one thing that uh, we talked about was, you know, we think of you as a as a food entity, and you do provide food, but the most efficient way really is through is through money, through cash or or through you know checks and donations because of the money goes so much further. I'd like for you to to explain that to the audience because uh, it really impacted me as far as you know how you can take my money and spend it so much more effectively than I can Tell, Talk to me about that.
0: Well, it's a pretty simple concept for us. Because we are so large, we work with private vendors and with other programs. So we really can take $1 and buy $5 worth of groceries. We work with the local farming community as well. So, for example, um, say you went to the grocery store to buy a pound of produce. We're buying it at 38 cents a pound. For you, on average, it's 99 a to $1.50 a pound. If we buy a can of green beans, it costs us twenty one cents. If you buy that same can of green beans, even on sale, it's seventy nine cents, but typically it's closer to ninety nine cents. So you can see the one for five I used to say return on investment, but it is a return on investment because Absolutely you're investing a dollar you're investing a dollar in our program, which we turn around and make $5 worth of food out of. And so it costs us on average about $25 to give families a shopping cart filled with $150 worth of groceries. That said, some of that comes in donated, some of that we purchase, but that's a pretty good return on investment in growing our community in a most positive way.
1: Absolutely. And I appreciate that. I'm glad I remembered to ask that question because I do see it, Completely and and solely as um, you know, we've been given too much. Too much is given, much is required. You know, and and we want to do. You know, for me, I'm very much into you know working local and and then getting a big you know i call it bang for the buck you know a big uh return on investment um for somebody who's actually trying to take people from where they are and to help them get them back on their feet so that they're able to be uh productive members of society i think that is the christian model and i think it's uh you know it's really you know it's stellar and you know i'm very impressed and i'd like to just thank you again um for being a guest today, and that's going to conclude our our episode. But um, I'd like to maybe have you on a little bit later, and I'm going to get to know you more as our company. We're really excited about joining in and uh, being a part of what you guys are doing. So I'd like to just say thank you so much for not only being a guest, but also for what you do for our community.
0: Well, thank you back, and Merry Christmas.
1: Merry Christmas to you too. I'll talk to you soon. Cyber attack analysis let 's break it down now let 's move on to the cyber threat portion of our podcast here. I want to talk about the recent cyber attack that just happened this Saturday uh, in uh, for the city of Pensacola. This attack that they' are calling a cyber incident, which uh, again, not a lot of information out on this currently. But they are uh, calling it a cyber incident, which lends my thinking, at least from a security professional standpoint, that this is probably going to be some form of ransomware attack. I actually uh, know some people over there, but I don't really want to get, you know, in the middle. And I certainly don't want to leak any information out that's, uh, you know, get ahead of the mayor and what he's doing over there. So I haven't called or tried to uh, really find out what happened. It'll come out in time. And that's good enough. One thing about this particular incident that, that uh is disturbing to me is that you know this falls right on the heels of that deadly shooting where four are dead out at the Naval Air Station. Now there's been no link, there's been a lot of talk of there being a link between the two situations, but there has been no official link at and I'm not uh stating that there is a link between the two. Uh you know, it's just suspicious of the timing. And, you know, I really believe that these uh, terrorists would like nothing more than to hit us in one way, you know, with a murder-suicide type thing with a gunman and then flip right back around and, um, you know, hit us from a cyber threat. You know, both things are uh, designed to cause havoc and, and really damage our economy and our really our way of life and even our peace of mind, so I would not be surprised that these two were not linked uh although again as i've said earlier they're not in any way uh have they made links from their uh you know from their investigations the fbi is on scene and they are checking it out we'll make one other note about this particular event if it is indeed a ransomware event that uh, we have a new client just contacted me yesterday and we've sent our team out. They were hit with ransomware, and uh, it's a new strain that we have not personally been exposed to, and it's not as good a strain as what we have seen in the past because they missed the um, basically shadow copy services, and that's basically where it would enable us to roll back that Uh, software or the system uh, to a previous date so we were able to actually just roll back the system pretty easily and then uh, recover the data in an unencrypted state so I'm not sure if that's what's happening at Pensacola but uh, I wouldn't be surprised because a lot of times what we see is the bad actors will try very much to target a particular area uh, and they'll come out with a new strain that is able to beat the, the uh, security defenses. Uh, and then you'll see it kind of, you know, pop up and run, run rampant for a while. So my suggestion for everyone is to be very careful with what they're clicking on from a ransomware standpoint. Well, that's been your cyber threat update for the week. I hope you're having a great week and stay safe out there. It's time. To go inside phillips head thoughts of the month well it's time for the thought of the week uh i believe this week i want to talk really about setting up uh, proper processes and also i would add to that getting team input whenever you develop those processes I say that because uh, I know early on in my career, a lot of things that I've done is I've jumped out ahead of there, and I've spent a lot of time and effort in developing a process that I thought would be good. And you know, I think that a lot of times the the um, the process was good, but I didn't have buy-in from others. And I think it's really important to um, to get the buy-in on the front end because it'll save you a lot of grief on the back end. I'll make uh another comment about you know building out a process and I use a reference some loosely use a reference from a book called E Myth. I think it's a great book that any entrepreneur should uh should read. It's um it's uh by Michael uh Gerber uh G E R B E R and in this book he talks about um a particular uh, uh hair cutting place and again I'm on, this is what I remember from reading the book. I've read it a couple of times over the years but so I may be a little bit off here but the the my principal will be here. Uh so what he discovered was that it was a, basically a, a haircutting salon or a, maybe a men's barbershop even and ultimately he had the people come in and they would, uh, at one point, uh, same client comes in over multiple uh, times getting his hair cut, and the experience was different each time. One time, it was uh, the barber made big reference to the fact that you wanted to wash hair because, uh, you know, after a hair was, you know, washed, the, you know, the texture, the whatever, it would allow for such a, a much better uh, haircut. Next time uh came in, it was like wine and cheese there and talking about just the overall experience of uh, getting your hair cut and, you know, to be able to, you know, make that experience good and all those kind of things. Well, you know, in and of themselves, both those things are really great things but the problem was is that each time that person came in there was a different experience it was a different you know focus or a different reason why they did what they did and it ultimately ended in the client not coming back because he just didn't have you know faith and trust so really we want to be able to put in our uh, process in such a way that we're going to deliver that same level of service because there's such a level of expectation that is important in relationships. You know, the fear of the unknown is one of the biggest drivers. It causes a lot of angst and anxiety inside of people, whereas if they know that they can come to you and they're going to get that same level of service, they know what to expect, And, again, as long as any one of those processes that that barber had in place was a great, would have been a great experience. But the problem was is that it changed so that it left a a question mark in the client's head. Kind of touch on maybe building out a good process and what that might look like. I like, you know, framing things, and a lot of times I'll use questions in order to help me with the frame. Uh, I'll use an example in, like, a social media post, for instance. I'm working on that right now internally. And, you know, what are the, the elements of a social media post? So I'll ask, you know, questions about, you know, what does a proper graphic look like? What does a you know a hook or a we do type statement look like? what uh audience do we want to serve with this particular ad and then ultimately uh you know once those things are framed out, that process can be used over and over and over again, and it can actually be trained for others because you know a lot of times if we're gonna be successful we have to be able to scale you know I talked earlier uh, in my thought for I believe last week I talked a lot about the theme for 2019 was delegate elevate and automate well to do proper delegation you really have to have things put into a process that can be repeated so this is a great application I think it's something that oftentimes we don't take the extra minute to uh, to make it to where we're able to you know duplicate our efforts in a standardized way that can you know ultimately end in success because we're just too busy. Uh, John Wooden, uh, you know, the great basketball coach, said that if you don't have time to do it right the first time, when would you ever have time to do it right? And I think that is that speaks directly to the importance of building out that process and a few extra minutes in, in developing that process, again, with your team is uh, important. One of the things that I would do is basically develop a – basic process that I felt good with and then I would ask questions of the team and then get their input so that uh, you know I kind of have a framework that we can work off of so that we can fast track getting a process built and then possibly even give it to that team who's going to be uh, developing or doing those services and have them report back with a finished product on something that can be uh, used uh, and then trained, you know, as you scale the company. So that's my thought of the week. I hope it's been beneficial to you. hope you guys have a very profitable and good week. Well, that's going to make it a wrap for today's episode of Success Failed with Philip Long. I'd like to thank everyone for listening, and also give special thanks to Deanne Servo for joining me today. Make sure that you subscribe to our podcast so you won't miss an episode. You can do that on iTunes, on Google, really anywhere you can find a podcast. Until next time, have a great week. Go out and make it happen. You've been listening to Success Failed with Philip Long.
0: Check out AskBIS.com, brought to you by BIS.